What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you and your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions per episode dealing with anything and everything from morality, spirituality, apologetics, evangelization, catechesis, discipleship, relationship advice. The list goes on. I would then ponder your questions and try to respond in such a way that is good for you and your walk toward eternity. However, disclaimer is this, I'm not perfect and every now and then my advice might not be helpful for you if that's the case. I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you become a saint. However, if my advice is helpful, then I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ so that he can give you the graces that you need to fulfill the demands of discipleship. You can hit me with your own questions, comments, and critiques at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. And finally, you can share the show on your social media pages, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. This helps other people find out about the show if it's a gift for you. Potentially, it could become a gift for others as well. On today's show, we're going to talk about guardian angels, naming them, and what do they do after we die good and bad rap music and we're going to talk about whether or not jesus really really cares about what religion we are or if, if we could just pick which one feels best for us in our in our walk toward becoming saints stay tuned All right, before we get into today's topics, I have a glory story I want to share with you. And before we go into that glory story, I have some coffee I want to sip. Mmm. That's some good coffee, y'all. Y'all, I was on um, a silent retreat this week with all the priests from my diocese and my bishop, Michael Duca, and also Bishop Shelton Bob. He led the retreat. And one day, I made some coffee for myself, and I went into the fridge at the retreat house and they had like some uh some kind of cream in there it wasn't my creamer that i always talk about but it was some creamer and i poured like half creamer into my my cup and then i poured half coffee and it tasted like um a cafe what's it called uh oh man mm, cafe is it cafe latte is that what it's called uh whatever it's called it was light-skinned like me and it tasted good and then uh another day i did like some milk and coffee and it wasn't so good but anyways i'm back at my house right now at holy rosary and i'm back to my coffee and it's so good <laughs> jesus loves me so much so my glory story is just uh recently i was hanging out with um antonio Cesena, and antonio is the the late husband of my my good friend emily who in previous episodes i've asked you all to pray for emily was a good friend of mine who i went to medjugorje with many years ago uh, we ran in the same circles back in the day, a lot of charismatic circles, and uh, she was just a disciple of Jesus Christ. She manifested 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. She was patient, and she was kind, and she was gentle. I never heard her brood. She was such a gift. She was a prayer warrior. She helped her family um, come to know Jesus Christ. She helped her friends come to know Jesus Christ. She helped me um, come to know Jesus Christ, crucified specifically whenever she um, was in her last last stages of life recently um, as, as she passed away from, from cancer um, in, in, in her brain. And so um, she suffered greatly, suffered very much because of her cancer. Um, and I remember going to visit her in the hospital 
And uh, that was the first time I met, I met her husband, Antonio, because they got married up north. Um, uh, or they got married and, you know, moved up there and came back here and uh, before she um, passed away. And, and so I got to reconnect with her in her last season of life. And she prayed so well as she suffered and she offered up so much of her suffering. And she suffered a lot for me and for other priests and for the conversion of sinners. And um, she died a painful yet beautiful death. Um, her her late husband, Antonio, is, is a seminarian now for the Archdiocese of, of New Orleans. And so he came by to spend time with me recently. We hung out, we prayed together, and we just shared stories about Emily. And it was just such a gift to get to know this man that she loved so much and, and who, who really prepared her for heaven, who prepared her um, to become a saint. And we really believe that like she might become one day a canonized saint because she lived a life that's canonizable. I always talk about how we're called to be saints on this show and all my homilies at my church and all the talks I give at conferences. God created each and every single one of us for no other reason than because he desires for us to be saints. And we should all live lives that are canonizable. But I do believe that Emily might be one of those people that I was blessed to get to know in my walk toward eternity who really might become a canonized saint, who we, the church, might recognize is is in the experience and the gift of the beatific vision. And so um, her husband also believes that, uh, her late husband, Antonio, who's now a seminarian, he'll be a priest in a few years, he believes that as, as well. And so he actually composed a prayer um, for her canonization, um, if that ever is able to come about. Um, whenever he was traveling after her, her passing away, he, he actually met one of the, the priests who works in the congregation for the, I guess, the cause of saints, whatever that's called. And uh, it was just a random meeting. And so the guy told him what he had to do in order to kind of get this movement started. And basically, there needs to be like a cult following around um, people who believe after a number of years that, yeah, we really believe that she's a saint. And then um, pray and ask for God to work a miracle through her intercession and see what happens from there. And so here's actually a prayer that her husband wrote. It's very beautiful. So I just want to recite it right now. Um, and I'm so excited that, man, just the, the thought that what if she becomes a canonized saint one day? That's so cool. Uh, so here's the prayer from Antonio Sersena. Uh, it says this, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O most holy Trinity, by your eternal will, all things occur for your glory and our salvation. The work of your Holy Spirit acting through your people never ceases to pour forth grace into the world and the life of Emily Cersena. We see the example of marital love and dedicated motherhood. In her life, we see an example of holiness we hope to imitate. We ask only if it increases your glory that Emily be elevated to the altar of saints. May the Holy Spirit work through the church and the Holy Pontiff to give us another saint who would speak to the complexities of our time and never cease to intercede for us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my glory stories, I got to hang out with my friend Emily's um, uh, late husband, who is now a seminarian preparing for the priesthood of Jesus Christ, and, and that she might become one day, God willing, a canonized saint, recognized by the entire universal church. Okay, now let's get into our follow-up feedback before we jump into today's topics. follow-up comes in from Catherine. Catherine says this, hi, Father Josh. I love that T. Swift's song was able to help you grow closer to Christ in prayer. The same thing happened to me with secular songs. For example, a few years ago when Katy Perry's song, 
unconditionally came out, I found myself in my car with tears streaming down my face as I listened. It was a song from the father speaking straight into his daughter's heart. Always cool when God uses secular songs to speak. Amen. Yeah, uh, there's so many good secular songs that I can I can really pray with. On one of my silent retreats I did a while back, one of the songs that kept coming up over and over again was John Legend. Because all of me loves all of you. You're my something, something, something. And I don't know the lyrics, but I do know that when I was praying with that song in my prayer, in silence, uh, I was just thinking about Jesus on the cross, giving all himself, free, total, faithful, fruitful love. He gave everything to me, held back nothing. He loves all of me. He doesn't love just part of me. He doesn't love just the, the good parts of me. He loves every single part of me, and he wants to abide in all of me and all of you as well. Amen. Also, another feedback comes in from Tina. Tina, whenever I see your name, it makes me think about another secular artist, Tina Turner. Don't eat that cake, anime. So Tina writes this. I love listening to your podcast. I just wanted to respond to the question a listener had about the Catholic Church not having kneelers. In my situation, I attend a mass at a church that is connected to a convent for retired sisters. This community also has many assisted living homes near this church. When they recently remodeled the church, the decision was made to not put in kneelers. It was surprising to visitors, but to those of us that attended regularly, it only made sense. Most of the church service consisted of those that are able-bodied going around and helping those that were kneeling to stand up. It was observed that in nursing homes, the elderly did not kneel if there were no kneelers available. So the same concept was applied here at this church. It worked. Bless you and continue to do God's will. Thank you, Tina. Tina, thank you very much. You make me proud. You make me proud, Mary. <laughs> All right, let's get into today's show. All right, first question comes in from Patty. I have an aunt named Patty. What's up, Aunt Patty? Patty says this. Good evening. I listened to your podcast for the first time yesterday. I was intrigued and learned much. On today, this feast of the guardian angels, this question came to my mind. What happens to our guardian angel when we die? If we go to hell, is there any biblical reference to what happens? I teach seventh grade theology so I could use your insight to help them as well. Oh, and another question. Should we name our guardian angels? Can we pray for God to tell us their name? I talk with various priests and receive differing opinions. What is yours? All right, that is some really cool and great questions. I will answer the last first and answer the first last. When it comes down to my opinion about naming our guardian angels, I don't have one. I'm just going to say what the church actually teaches. In the directory on popular piety and the liturgy, under the heading about devotion to holy angels, this is what it says. The practice of assigning names to holy angels should be discouraged, except in the cases of Gabriel, Raphael, and Michael, whose names are contained in holy scripture. So we cannot name our guardian angels because what happens is this. If we name our guardian angel, we're implying that we have authority over them, and we don't. Think about that prayer that many of us pray. We, we, we're taught as children the angel of God prayer. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side to light, to guard, to rule, to guide. 
right? Think about this. If our angels are sitting here to rule us and guide us, then they have more authority over us, right? Um, and so uh, it's not my place to, to act like an angel is something I have authority over um, in that sense to name them. However, some people say you can pray and ask God, um, God, will you please reveal to me my guardian angel's name? Is that okay? Potentially, the only thing is, is we can discern incorrectly, right? We might discern wrong and we might begin to speak to an angel that we think we receive the name and prayer from God. But in reality, we receive that name from a fallen spirit. And now we're entering into a personal relationship with the fallen spirit because we think that his name was Bobby. But in reality, that was not our guardian angel's name. That was a name that someone else, a demon potentially revealed to us or we made up ourselves. So is it possible for God to reveal our angel's name to us? Yes. Um, is that something that we're going to know infallibly in this life? I don't think so. It ain't the word of God. It's not the scriptures. It's not church teachings. So we can definitely discern wrong when it comes to naming our guardian angels. So I would just propose you just call your angel guardian angel. I think that's beautiful to call your angel guardian angel. Um, and then to also speak to Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael because we know their names for sure because their names are revealed to us in the sacred scriptures, the word of God. Now, what happens to our angels after we die? So I talked to one of my, my buddies who, who studied angelology um, and uh, angelology, angel, whatever it's called. And, uh, and he basically told me, he said, basically, whenever we die, um, our, if we go to heaven, our angels, our guardian angels will also go to heaven with us and they will praise and glorify God. As the word of God tells us, the angels are always before the, the throne of God. They're always beholding the face of God, worshiping him day and night, right? unceasingly praising him holy 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 remember in the mass we sing holy 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 whenever jesus christ um is about to come uh and and he's coming down to be in, in our midst um through the consecration so all right that's what the angels are doing they're singing holy 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 before the lamb if we go to heaven that's what they're doing what happens if we go to hell well if we go to hell our angels would still go to heaven and they would sing holy, holy, holy. And they would still praise and worship and adore the triune God in the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. Uh, so hopefully that answers your question. And let me know if you have any other follow-up questions you want me to answer about angels. I am not the authority in this topic, but one of my buddies is, so I can always go to him because uh, he's into Thomas Aquinas and his teachings on the angels. All right, next question comes in from anonymous anonymous before i answer your question let me take a sip of my coffee real quick <sighs> so good so good so good so good i hate to say it but my coffee is so good so good so good all right anonymous writes this hello father josh hope this finds you well love your podcast and your book broken and blessed well thank you so much anonymous don't forget you can pick up my book on Amazon or at essentialpress.com. You can also download my book on iTunes if you want to hear the audio version of that. And my new book, Through Ascension Press, is coming out next year, I think around Ash Wednesday. So be sure to cop that whenever that drops next year. So Anonymous says, this my question is about rap. I'm 19 and I've been listening to a lot of rap since I was 11. But recently I've become concerned about what exactly I'm exposing myself to. I don't want to paint a broad stroke and say it's all bad. After all, you rap about Jesus. How could that be bad? But some of the music on my playlist is nothing more than talk of drugs, sex, money. I don't pay much attention to the lyrics, and I like it for the beats, but 
it's got to be affecting me in some way, listening to all that you know. I, I consider my, my faith very important to me, and I feel it's a bit hypocritical for me to, for example, read about the Virgin Mary and then 10 seconds later start listening to music talking about women as if they're simply objects to be used for pleasure. Hoping you can provide some advice. Anonymous. Yeah, man, I can provide some advice. I agree with you. Some music is good. Some music is bad. Some country music is good. Some country music is bad. Some pop music is good. Some pop music is bad. Some R&B music is good. Some R&B music is bad. Some rap music is good. And some rap music is objectively bad. How can I say something is objectively bad? Because it was created to bring us to sin. It was created. Some of it was created to bring us to Jesus, to heaven, to virtue. Some was created for vice. And so we have to listen to the lyrics and say, are these lyrics I'm listening to are they in line with that which is good, true, and beautiful, according to St. Paul's letter to the Philippians 4, 8, right? If not, then I need to avoid that. I remember whenever I was in high school, Ludacris was a very popular rapper. Now he's like an actor, and uh, I guess he still does music every now and then. Uh, but he had a song out, and it was it was a very, um, it, was a, it was a song that every time I heard it, it would always make me feel wrathful. The music had an impact on me. His song was like, move, curse word, get out the way, get out the way, curse word, get out the way. Oh, no, a fight's out. I'm about to knock your lights out. And so anyways, as that song would play, I would listen to the lyrics and I would be really inspired by that song to go fight somebody. Like if I was at a party and I had a beef with somebody else at that party, um, again, this is like before Jesus days, um, I would want to start fighting. Like the song did that to me. Now, if an Usher song came on at that same party uh, and it was like an R&B slow song, that would make me want to go find a girl and dance with her, right? Music impacts us. You go to a coffee shop, they're not playing gangster rap music. They're not playing loud rock and roll music. They're playing chill music because it sets the tone. We go into a church. What do we hear? We hear chant music because it sets the tone. Right. So music has that way to impact us. It can bring us to holiness, to virtue, but it can also draw us to vices, to bad habits. And so it has a lot of power. We have to remember that um, music is heavenly. Music is something that we're going to experience not only on earth, but also in heaven. The four living creatures in the book of Revelation, St. John writes that the four living creature day and night, they never cease to sing. Holy, holy. Holy Lord, God of hosts. In heaven, there are creatures who sing to God day and night without ceasing. Music is powerful. Music has the power to affect us, to break chains. Whenever you go to a conference like Steubenville or Seek or, or Life Teen, and they're playing praise and worship music during adoration, what happens? A lot of people find freedom. A lot of people find freedom from their chains of sin. They find deliverance. Whenever Paul was in prison, he began to sing to God. He praised God with music. And the angels, get that, the angels from our last question came and helped him. <coughs> so... Music is powerful, and it will either draw us to God or away from God. And so we just have to discern what music is good for me and what music is is bad for, for me. Um, and so I would delete anything on your playlist that is glorifying sex, um, premarital sex. It's glorifying 
uh, the use of drugs, the abuse of alcohol, that's glorifying violence. That is not of God's kingdom, and it will affect your capacity to be able to receive the gift that God has in store for you, which is his grace for you to share and to bring into the world throughout your walk toward eternity. And instead, listen to good music, good pop music, good country music, good rock music, good rap music, good R&B music, good Christian music. I've been listening to K-Love lately. I, I've, I've said this before. I'm not a huge fan of K-Love. Uh, I like, I do like Christian music. I love like Will Reagan. I love Tasha Cobbs. I like Lecrae, Andy Mineo. I like Matt Maher, Audrey Asad. I, I am a fan of so many Hillsong, Bethel, you, you name it, right? Um, but I find that some songs that are played on Christian radio sometimes are corny. They sound like the Backstreet Boys replacing the word uh, girl with Jesus. Um, and I'm just like, oh, you could do better. But anyways, lately as a practice, I've been listening only to like podcasts, Christian podcasts, Catholic podcasts, um, to K-Love, to Catholic Radio only, no, nothing secular. Not because secular is bad, just because that's what I'm I'm doing as a practice right now. And uh, and it's been very delightful. It has been, I've laughed at some of the corniness of some of the songs, and uh, but it has been delightful. And I've been able to have a lot of beautiful conversations with God about the stuff I'm listening to. So uh, when it comes to rap music, I would just encourage you to find people who um, glorify God in their lyrics. And if they don't, pray for them, but don't listen to their stuff because it's not good for you ultimately and your walk toward eternity, toward becoming the particular saint that God wants for you to be. All right, now let's go ahead and take a quick break. And whenever we come back, we're going to dive into our final question, uh, which is all about Jesus and the church, religion. Does God really care? Do we really have the capacity to know what church God wants us to be a part of in our walk toward becoming saints? Stay tuned. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can send me your questions at askfatherjosh at essentialpress.com. Record a voice note. I can play that on a future show. Don't forget to share us on your social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. And rate and review us on iTunes. This helps other people find out about the show. Last question comes in from Megan. Megan writes this. Hey, Father Josh, I recently had a chance to tell my Protestant friends about the beliefs of the Catholic faith. And one of my friends told me, well, we really won't know any of this if it's true until we get into heaven. And when we get there, we'll be smacked with the knowledge of what actually happens. So as long as we love Jesus, we're good. And I didn't really know what to say in that situation because I didn't want to offend her because she's a good friend. And she had previously said that she did not think that people should get mad at each other because they have a different religions. And I had agreed with her, so I didn't want to be a hypocrite. So I stayed silent for a little while, and then the subject was changed. What could I have said in that situation? Thank you so much, Megan. Yeah, Megan, first of all, I agree with you and your friend. We should not get mad um, over over religion, right? Um, but uh, what could you say in the future? I would, again, affirm her 
desire to point to Jesus and then encourage her, right? Well, what does Jesus want? Like if we really love somebody, we begin to want what they want. And Jesus wants, as he revealed to us, his deepest desire in John 17 was unity in the body of Christ, unity in the church. Read John chapter 17. It's the prayer of Jesus. And he prays for unity. He does not want disunity. And Jesus Christ, when he came here 2,000 years ago, historically, he founded a church. This is not something that people debate. Everyone objectively typically agrees that, yes, the Catholic Church was the first church to ever exist. The first Christian church was the Catholic Church, founded on Peter. Right? We can trace our roots back to Jesus. Every other Christian denomination, we can trace their roots back not to the person Jesus, but to a person who had a relationship with Jesus but decided to found a church on their own, right? Look at every church that pops up on every street, down the street, in every corner of America. It's founded in 2015, 2010, 2005, right? You can look back to the Assemblies of God. They were founded in 1914 in Arkansas. The Pentecostals were founded in 1901. Jehovah's Witnesses, 1870 by Charles Russell. Seventh-day Adventists, William Miller, 1840. The Mormons, Joseph Smith, 1827. Disciples of Christ, Thomas and Alexander Campbell, 1827. Church of Christ, 1804. Episcopal Church in the U.S., Samuel Seabury, 1789. Methodist Church, John and Charles Wesley, 1738. Baptist Church, John Smith, 1609. Presbyterian Church, John Knox, 1560. Church of England, King Henry VIII, 1534. Lutheran Church, Martin Luther, 1517. And finally, the Roman Catholic Church, around 30 AD, Jesus Christ. That's history. Histor it's history. Look at the early church Christians. They don't say that they're Baptists or Methodists or Episcopalian or Anglican. They don't say they're non-denominational. They don't say that they're spiritual. They say we are Catholic. Look at the writings of St. Augustine. Whenever I was um, involved in the Protestant church years ago, because as you, as you may know, I left the Catholic church, was heavily involved in the Protestant churches, and then felt the Lord calling me back to the Catholic church years later. The pastor of that church, when I went to his library, he had all the early church fathers, Augustine and all the Jerome, all these people that were, guess what? Catholic. They were all Catholic. Right? Jesus Christ founded the Catholic church. He does not like division. He prayed for unity in John 17. So I would propose that Jesus Christ does care about the church we go to because the church we go to will have an effect on what we believe about Jesus Christ. Some people believe that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It's his actual flesh and blood as he taught in the gospel of John chapter 6. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then after that, Luther broke away. And Luther said, yeah, I believe it's the body and blood of Christ, but only during Mass. And then after that, Calvin and everyone else broke away. And as each one broke away, they began to believe different things about that which Jesus Christ taught. Some said, okay, well, the Eucharist is, is just a symbol, but it's a symbol that has power. And then as they got further online, it's just a symbol, period. It has no power at all. And Jesus Christ did not teach that the Eucharist was a symbol. He taught it was his body and blood. When he taught it, many of his disciples walked away, right? So all I'm saying is that if you don't, depending on where you go for church, it will affect what you believe about Jesus, about the scriptures. Right? The Catholic Church gave us the Bible. You talk to many Christians, you say, what do you believe? They say, they say we, we believe in the Bible. We believe in the word of God. So the question becomes, okay, well, where'd you get the Bible from? The Bible didn't fall out the sky. The Bible was given to us by the Catholic Church through the Pope, right? The New Testament was not put in place until the 300s, the late 300s, 380s to be precise. 
Before that, if you had a problem, the only one you can go to was the church. You went to the apostles and their successors, who, if you read the writings of St. Irenaeus in the 100s, he says they were Catholic. They were Catholic. Um, so I, I think if we really care about Jesus, then we should care about what he cares about. And he founded a church. And if he founded a church, and if he says that the gates of hell would never overcome that church, they would never tear down that church, then we should listen to him and believe him at his word. So it's not to knock other Christian religions. My dad's Methodist. Um, many of my close friends are Protestant. It's not knocking their religion, but it is saying that when it comes down to what does Jesus want, he doesn't like divorce. He does not like when Martin Luther divorced the Catholic Church and when Calvin divorced and when John Smith divorced and when Wesley divorced and everyone else keeps divorcing and founding something new. Divorce is not of God. God wants his bride to be one church, one body of Christ, period, um, and not separated. So um, I think that God does care and it's our duty as disciples of Christ to to really be intentional about discerning what is the church that Jesus Christ founded and wants me to be a part of in my walk toward eternity. So that answers that question, hopefully well. All right, stay tuned uh, next week when we come back with more episodes of Ask Father Josh. Before we go, I want to end us in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, pour your precious blood over all of us, Jesus over our bodies, over our minds, over our souls, our spirit, our conscience, our subconscious, our intellect, our will, our feelings, thoughts, emotions, our passions, our words, our actions, our vocations, our relationships, our families, friends, possessions. Protect us, Jesus, with your precious blood. Lord, I dedicate all of this to you. And I acknowledge that you are Lord and Master of all. Mary, Immaculate Conception, Pure and Holy Virgin, Mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, draw each of us under your veil, guard us, shield us against all attacks and temptations that could violate the virtue of chastity. Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you for the grace to remain guarded beneath the protective mantle of Mary, surrounded by the holy holiness that was taken from your crown of thorns, saturated with your precious blood and the power of the Holy Spirit with our guardian angels for the glory of God our Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. God bless. I love you very much. And I look forward to continuing to walk with you toward eternity.